This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Thank you for joining us on this battlefield called life. And today we have returning... To the show, Lisa Thompson with the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. They are based in Washington, D.C., and they're heavily involved in the battle against all forms of sexual abuse and exploitation, including pornography, sex buying, sexual addiction and compulsivity, objectification, sexual violence, male sexual exploitation, violence against women, sexting, child sexual abuse and online grooming. And if you missed last week's show, it's available on our website at blazinggrace.org or you can catch it on Spotify or um, Apple Podcasts. So, Lisa, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. So, Lisa, I'm going to begin by reading some headlines of recent news articles. These were from just a week ago, and then we'll start talking about this. So, September 28th, News 12, Long Island. FBI arrests Brentwood pastor accused of sexually exploiting a minor. September 28th, again, WHKY News. Pastor receives prison sentence in child porn case. September 27th, Roy's report, Assemblies of God pastor. Pastors call for leaders to resign over response to Chai Alpha sex scandal. September 27th again, Citizen North Point Church host conference with gay speakers. September 26th, Muddy River News, youth pastor facing sexual abuse, porn charges agrees to plea capping prison sentence. September 25th, a Texas pastor is sentenced to prison for child porn. And last one, September 25th again, Christian Post Tennessee pastor, a father of six, arrested for alleged child rape. The wife is charged with facilitating the abuse. So so last week we were talking about the purveyors of pornography, but this week I want to talk about the buyers of pornography and the sexual abuse connected with that, which is based out of one of the porn industry's largest customers, and that is the church. Because every mm-hmm. single day there are articles like this where a pastor, often a youth pastor or worship pastor, is arrested for child porn or molestation. So, Lisa, what goes through your mind when I talk about this? Um, well, it's, it's, it's beyond sad. I, I can't even express how sad it is to hear um, when people who are in 
you know, positions of religious authority um, engage in this kind of practice and this kind of abuse, it's horrifying. It's such a betrayal of trust. And, and you know, it's sad that this is, I think, evidence of how influenced the whole culture is by pornography. If people who profess to have, you know, a deep religious conviction, a belief, a deep faith, um, whatever that faith is, and, and yet they are acting out in this way, um, that's clearly something that's undermining the core of who they are. Something very powerful is, is comp- has poisoned their mind, is making them act in a way that is against what their stated convictions are. That has to be something. It has to be something pretty powerful, and I think it just points to the the really toxic influence of pornography. If if not, if this is the kind of behaviors that result from people who are supposed to be you know carrying upright moral examples, right? People in our in our world, and they're succumbing to this kind of uh, thing. You know, then how, how, who's their hope for, right? If that's if that's what we're left with, so I think what we need to there's some things to think about is that you know pornography as, as when people begin consuming it over time there's often a you know a boredom that emerges. It's not going to be satisfying. This the the what so called vanilla material that people begin with and they begin seeking other more extremes more exciting content in order to feel the same level you know get get sexual excitement again because they're damaging their brain this constant use of pornography this constant sexual stimulation you're you're overdriving um the pleasure centers of the brain and they get dulled um, so they don't work the same way anymore. So they have to um, start. They get they. That's the, what we call desensitization. They get desensitized, and then because of the desensitization, there's a process where they begin escalation. They begin to escalate to more novel content in order to be become sexually satisfied. And that leads people to some very dark places. And tragically, for a significant number of people that is into the realm of child sexual abuse. So, um, you know, it's, it's, there's, there are, you know, research studies, which show that where people who have been arrested for using child sexual abuse material, talk about that, that very thing that, Oh, well, I started here, that that kind of got bored. I got bored with that. And so eventually I found this and I knew I shouldn't be looking at it, but I couldn't help it. It was exciting. And there was the thrill of looking at it. Um, so that's what happens. And then, and then also in some cases, um, we know that people will, it will lead to hands-on offending in certain, for, for some people, um, that there, there will be, it's not just they're going to be looking at these images of children who've been abused, but they will be engaging in that abuse themselves. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking to hear that litany um, that you read of, of cases. Just and, Yeah, if you get set up a Google News alert for something like that, you're going to be, be ready to be depressed every single day. Yeah. 
for the last two decades, surveys have been coming out, including from Barna Group, um, showing that upwards of two-thirds of Christian men are viewing porn at some level. And um, with women, they're the fastest-growing gender in the church. And I had lunch with the senior pastor of a church of 1,000 October of last year, and he told me that 80% of the men at their men's retreat confessed to struggles with pornography. So how do you be salt and light, and what should we be doing about it when, I mean, to me, this is a moral crisis in the church when you have numbers that high. What should we be doing as a church? Oh, my goodness. Um, it's hard for me to, to think of what should be the, the right thing to say here. I guess one is we have to acknowledge the problem. When when it's swept under the rug, when it's not acknowledged, then you can't tackle it, right? If everybody's just putting on their their you know saintly face every day and like I don't have any struggles, I don't have any problems, um, then they can't be real and they can't get the help that they need, and they think that they're struggling alone. So, I mean, given that staggering number that you just cited, clearly this is a massive problem. And to ignore it, you, you know, you, you ignore it at your peril because you do invite the very types of situations or the headlines that you read before. You know, don't be surprised when some sort of abuse or something, you know, like that ensues from somebody who gets heavily involved in pornography. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who uses pornography is going to go out and abuse a child. That's not true. Mm-hmm. But there's, there, you know, there will be a certain, um, segment of those who are, you know, heavy consumers who that will, that's where that will lead them. Um, so we have to acknowledge that this is a massive problem in society today. We can't sweep it under the rug. And I think it's really imperative for religious institutions to do this because otherwise you become Really, we, you know, if you're not acknowledging it and dealing with it, then you're part of the problem. And there's a thing called institutional abuse, and that happens when institutions are aware or they're cognizant that these problems exist, but they choose to ignore them, to sweep them under the rug. And by doing so, they actually facilitate and it can allow the abuse to fester. So we don't want those kinds of situations, particularly in, you know, communities of faith. I mean, how horrible is that? So um, it's very important that, you know, that we recognize this problem in our um, in churches, in society, in various places where where it's occurring. And if it's happening in the church to that extent, they certainly need to confront it head on. And probably, you know, there needs to be more. Um, offering of development of resources. Like, where can people go for help? Where are they going to get the kinds of counseling, the kind of support that they need? So definitely, I think I would suggest that people who are wrestling with these issues in their congregations look to identify, um, you know, reputable therapists and people in their community or other ministries that are, that deal specifically with this topic so that people in their their faith community can get help, because um, this can be a really big struggle. We're talking about something that's 
addictive. Something we're not, It's not just, I, I think we think about pornography completely wrong. We think about it as a material, as, you know, just something that you touch or, you know, yeah, maybe you see it. And we don't think, think of it in terms as a substance. Like, you know, we think, for instance, about alcohol or tobacco. We call those substances, right? And we know that in taking, that, in taking those substances to a high degree can have really damaging impacts on your health and your life. Well, it's the same thing with pornography. If you are consuming this substance that creates an effect in your body, it's not, you know, like, just like you, you eat something, eat a sandwich, you know, you're going to have a chemical change in your body. Well, when you're consuming pornography and if you're using it to sexually stimulate yourself, you're going to release um, certain neurochemicals in your mind, in your brain that are going to have a reaction. It's causing a chemical reaction in your body. It's not just some static thing that that people are. You're just not. You're standing there looking at a painting in a museum. People are intentionally stimulating themselves to cause this, you know, the pleasure and to get that cascading effect that happens when people, you know, reach. I'm trying to be polite here, uh, but anyway, I think you know what I'm alluding to. Mm-hmm. So the this is a stimulus that causes a chemical reaction in the body. It's not some, you know, just like, oh, reading. It's this different than just reading a book. It's, it's very, it's visual. It's intense. It causes these massive rush of chemicals in the brain. It activates these pleasure pathways. And over time, it changes. The, the, it can actually change the chemistry and the makeup of your brain. So, for instance, there have been studies that show that heavy that consumers of pornography actually shrink certain parts of their brain. I mean, that that should be alarming to people. <laughs> You're shrinking your brain. Who wants a smaller brain? <laughs> but that's what happens when you over when you consume lots of pornography. You literally warp your brain. Yeah, when I'm uh, counseling with people, I'll mention them that what we do is help them understand the chemical and the emotional and the spiritual effects. So I'll show them a picture of a brain scan, just like what you're mentioning, to Mm -hmm. show how Mm -hmm. it affects the mind and then also how it affects them spiritually and emotionally. And some come to us thinking, just help me stop looking at bad pictures, and I'll tell them it's never that simple. We're talking about complete corruption of the character here. There's a complete character overhaul that has to happen because from the very beginning, porn, acting out with porn is done in the dark. So they're training themselves how to lie and hide and deceive from the very first time they start acting out. And by the time they finally get help, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line even when they're 60, 70, or 80 years old, mm-hmm. and I'm not, under, I'm not over-exaggerating, um, that pattern is set in like stone. So you mentioned institutional abuse, and what came to my mind immediately was, I think it was um, 10 years ago, I don't remember, when a reporter in the Houston Chronicle came out and did an expose in the Southern Baptist where 700 people had reportedly 
been sexually abused or assaulted in Baptist churches, and the church had been covering it up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember seeing that, but I, I, I was molested myself as a teen, so I could relate to the trauma and the hell people go through. And so sorry. <clears throat> so everything you're saying is just right on the money with institutional abuse and covering it up explodes it even more. And and it's something else you touched on. Um, if we don't talk about it, people assume they're alone. So often the very first words people say when they call us for help is, I have no one to talk to. Mm. And the U.S. Surgeon General just put out an article in May of this year about the epidemic of loneliness in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that is a big part of what feeds this whole porn problem is we're all so isolated. Mm. So what is your take on that? Well, I think part of what we're dealing with is, you know, we've created these online virtual worlds where we're supposed to have connection, where we're supposed to, where they tell us, oh, you're going to feel connected. You're going to, you know, meet people in other parts of the world. But somehow it doesn't seem to be living up to the promise. Um, it seems like we really long for authentic connection with real people. And, you know, all this screen time, whether it be gaming or, you know, just binge watching content or whether it be, you know, what we're, what the main thing that we're talking about today, looking at, you know, consuming pornography, you know, this can really be isolating and we're not getting out and, you know, getting together and having dinner with friends. We're not having people over. We're not going out and playing sports. We're, we're just way too much into our screens. We're not having that kind of real authentic social connection and, and developing the deep kind of friendships that we need. Um, and unfortunately, like we know, like with pornography, that it actually damages relationships. I mean, the irony is that some people actually attempt to, you know, use it purportedly because they want to have a closer relationship with their spouse uh, or their intimate partner or whatever. And yet the research shows over and over that incorporating pornography into your relationship will make it worse. It doesn't benefit the relationship, and it's, 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 it's just the opposite. We read, there's articles that talk about how people use pornography as a palliative. They, they feel depressed. They feel alone. And they reach out to pornography because it's easy. It's there. But yet we know that pornography actually leads to more depression. It's clearly linked in the research with increased depression and increased loneliness. And yet, so people are turning to the thing and the idea that this will make them feel better when actually it makes the very problems that they're trying to seek answers for worse. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. And one dangerous trend I just wrote about was AI porn or AI girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever you want to call it, where, mm-hmm. where one guy who tested it and even said he was in a happy relationship said that it terrified him because the AI porn, the girl in that scene, actually made him feel cared for. And his exact words, and this guy, by his own mission, was not a believer. He said, this will lead to the destruction of society. Mm. Because when you well, can talk to yeah. your pornography, mm-hmm. that's going to be so dangerous. Yeah, there have been a lot of things coming up, you know, technologies coming along 
which do more and more to sever us from connection with people and connecting us to pixels. Um, you know, so whether it's, you know, VR, you know, virtual reality, pornography, or now AI pornography, which, you know, is, is just a whole terrifying, it's the very concept is terrifying that you're going to have, you know, an online, a computer for a girlfriend. <laughs> like, that's just, seems insane it doesn't seem like what how could that remotely be satisfying but you know when you can dictate the parameters of who that what that individual so you know air quotes individual that entity on the computer is if you you know you create it you can create it to your own specifications to your what you like the kind of personality the, the face that it has the way it acts so it's it's really serving this incredibly narcissistic um, it's it's just incredibly narcissistic how this all works because it's all about the consumer, the individual. you're not you know you don't you're not forced to connect and compromise and relate with another person because this entity is all about you if that makes sense oh, hopefully right. I'm making yeah. Absolutely. And that's what we see is that's one of the devastating effects is that with porn, life becomes um, all about me. Sex becomes all about me. It's what I want, when I want, when I want it. And they become crippled as far as emotionally and socially and, and giving love. It destroys everything. So I'm curious, yeah. Lisa, mm -hmm. with what you guys do, do you experience a lot of spiritual warfare? Well, I mean, I think to varying degrees, we all feel, um, you know, we have moments where we feel overwhelmed by the nature of this work. And, you know, it, it can be sad. It can be really sad when you read, you know, yet one more case of a, a child being abused that didn't have to happen. You know, none of this has to happen. It's completely preventable. But people are just, you know, adults are not taking responsibility. Uh, they're putting their head under their sand or they're, they don't care. There's, you know, and there's a whole cabal out there that actually supports the stuff that, you know, that wants it to happen, that wants children to be exposed. Who thinks, you know, who argues that it's completely harmless, which is, you know, utterly ridiculous, but who, who makes those kinds of claims. So, um, you know, for, for those, so there are hard days for all of us that we have each other. And um, I, you know, for me personally, I thankfully I have a strong hope and, um, you know, in my face. And I, I know that what the end of the story is. So it doesn't, I guess I'm at a point where I don't feel like it keeps me down. Amen. Because I, I, I know, you know, whom I have believed. <laughs> and that's me personally. Uh you know, as as an individual staff person um, at the organization, speaking here from my personal feeling, yeah. <clears throat> well, for me, I love being on the front lines. I mean, yeah, it is extremely difficult and hard sometimes, but I like to be a part of God's work to set captives free, and I think that's what you're doing too. So, Lisa, we have two minutes left. Take a minute. Anything you want to say? Well, I think um, one thing I'd like to leave people thinking about is this idea that pornography users shape culture. 
And to the, to the degree, the more and more our, con- our society consumes pornography, the more and more our society will look like pornography. Mm. And so therefore, I think it's really important that we be doing everything we can to, you know, push back against the cultural mainstreaming of pornography in our society. Well, amen. I, and um, I'll just add that, you know, The Sound of Freedom came out <clears throat> a little while ago and people were raving back about that and saying, how can we make a difference? And what immediately came to my mind as we begin with the church. Mm. Because how can you be salt and light when the church is so corrupt with it? But, and and I would think of, you know, well, stop, you know, if you're looking at pornography, stop. Because that fuels, um, that's part of the, the gas on the fire um, for sex trafficking. Mm. Well, thank you, Lisa. This has been wonderful. I loved everything you had to say. And I, can you give everybody your website address? Yeah, sure. It's in sexualexploitation.org. All right, and thank you, my friends, for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144. This program was sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries.